This job is an incredible one because you get to you get to step in these shoes that you would never have imagined. You know, I would never have practiced law. I was too busy, you know, singing and dancing and wanting to be on the stage. So it does feel like such a privilege to be able to to do that and experience these lives. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. It's hard to believe that it's been over a decade since Michelle Dockery burst into the zeitgeist as Lady Mary in the wildly popular British series Downton Abbey. And while she continues to live as Lady Mary through the films, Michelle has proven to be a multi-talented performer, excelling on stage and screen. Watch Godless just to get a look at her range as an actress. She has also been cultivating a budding music career. More on that later. Today, I'm catching up with her on all things Anatomy of a Scandal, the six-part series based on the best-selling book where Michelle plays Kate Woodcroft, a steely barrister determined to take down a high-profile politician accused of a shocking crime. Hi, Docs. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? It's been a while. It's been a real long while. I can't believe you've been going since 8 a.m. My God, so good for you. And thank you for sliding this time oh, in no your worries. day. Because no I know it's it, it, it's a lot, but it's great to see you. I feel like the last time I saw you was at some awards party around yeah. Downton Abbey, yeah, maybe. Three final years. season. Yeah, yeah. Probably sort of, well, longer, actually. If it was the final season, that would be even longer. It's crazy. And we're yeah. still doing it. And you're still doing it because you have another movie, right? Coming <laughs> yes. out. And it's and it's also getting a whole other audience on Netflix, which is kind of incredible, yeah, too. It, it, it's just it, it keeps going. But I can't wait to talk to you about Anatomy of a Scandal. But I will have to say before we talk about this to my listeners. Also, I happened to watch Godless during the pandemic. I'd always wanted to watch it. And I was like, oh, I've got to see this. I got to see what she's doing in this. And I finally watched it. And that was spectacular as well. And I'm going to talk about a little through line through all of these stuff a little bit later. But let's get to Anatomy of a Scandal, which is just a delicious, thought-provoking, painful at times, aggravating, intoxicating thriller. Uh, six-part series, obviously based on the book by Sarah Vaughn. Now, did you have any awareness before this part came your way of, of the novel? I didn't. I, I read it. I read it as sort of as soon as I was offered the role, really. And I read the scripts first off, which were amazing. And um, I couldn't really put them down. It was such a fantastic story. And I was so intrigued by this, this character, Kate Woodcroft. And I was so intrigued to see where her story to where the story took her and of course it is such a huge arc her journey and she you know she isn't who she who you think she is at the beginning and it's kind of this process of her kind of unraveling as the show goes on and I'm I've always been a fan of David E Kelly's work you know since Big Little Lies I I absolutely love his work so it was a no-brainer for me and there was such brilliant people already attached and creatives behind behind the scenes like Bruna Papandrea and mm-hmm. Liza Chasen and then of course SJ Clarkson who I'd met a few years previously and we actually grew up in the same same town we just didn't know each other and we went to the same school which is crazy 
S.J. Clarkson directed the series and Bruna and Liza. Liza is one of my oldest first friends in the world. I adore her <laughs> brilliant producer, as is Bruna. So the two women produced it, which I love. It yes. is really female heavy, heavy project. And they're both terrific. You just highlighted that. You know, there's some brilliant women behind the scenes of this show. And S.J., I'd, I met her a few years back and and you know, really loved her and really had loved her work. And I loved a show that she did called Collateral with um, Kerry Mulligan. And I was just really intrigued to work with her as a director. So it was great because this came along and it was the right fit. I loved the idea of playing a barrister, you know, as much as that was a daunting (laughs) prospect. I thought this is going to be a challenge. And I do like a challenge, you know, when it comes to acting. So mm-hmm. it felt like the right fit at the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the wigs always throw me with the barristers, but I get that it was, it, it's basically to make sure everyone looks the same, right? In a courtroom that there's no prejudice, right? That's why the, the, yeah. Paper, the wigs, yeah. Yeah, and of course it is, you know, part of history of law in this country. I mean, it's been, you know, that has been the the get up for a very long time. And, and I... I was slightly apprehensive about that, you know, the the Mm -hmm. wig and the cape. And and my first fitting was at Eden Ravenscroft where barristers go and get their their gowns and and their wigs. And and that was such an incredible experience, you know, to be able to do that as someone who doesn't practice law and (laughs) is no part of it whatsoever. And that's one of the great things about being an actor is that you get to sort of wear the shoes of these incredible people and and experience what it would be like to 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 play this person and to be in this 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 job for a living so it was a a fascinating process and I also worked with a criminal barrister who sort of coached me through throughout most of the courtroom uh scenes which was kind of a three-week shoot and 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 it was vital that I had someone someone like that on call just to to help navigate those really tricky scenes in, in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I really enjoyed watching in this is that I knew nothing. When I had read the book, shamefully, I'm a, I'm a terrible reader. So I'm never one of those okay. that like, I poured through the book and I can't wait. I went in completely blind. And what's so interesting to me is that Sienna, who plays the Sophie Woodhouse, I love the British names of the Woodcroft White House. I just confused it, my dyslexic brain there. Uh, And you could have been kind of interchangeable in a way, right? Because there's these two women that are the same age and essentially, and the layering that happens Mm -hmm. is incredible. And the way it's directed and written with the flashbacks. So we see these people and we think, okay, obviously, you know, Sophie Whitehouse played by Sienna is this kind of Sloan Ranger type, Range Rover driving, perfect Mm -hmm. life, seeming, everything. And then your character is more, okay, hardworking, no children, having an affair. Oh, that's a weird choice for a a lawyer, as we would say in America, like, wow, (laughs) Okay. Um, And this bomb drops in the middle of it. Sienna's character's husband is accused of one having an affair and then quickly after that of rape. And he's a politician, very successful in that Oxford, all all the definitions of privilege. Hmm. 
And what was so interesting is as the story was being told, I found my POV constantly changing in yeah. terms of who are you believing? Who are you not believing? What constitutes rape? Why is she going after him? And then we'd flash back to a scene and you're trying to put it together. It was just thrilling. So as an actor, how do you approach that? Because you know you're going to explode and there's a scene we're going to get to, which is incredible. How do you play that? Because I know you don't really shoot in order, right? As an actor, sometimes, yeah. I mean, maybe with the series you do, I don't know. I, I want you to tell me that, but uh, how do you prep for that? Those layers and when that's going to come out and, and knowing that I've always been fascinated yeah. by that. Well, it was, it was the conversation from the very beginning with, with SJ, with SJ Clarkson about who this, you know, who physically who this woman is, you know, because you obviously have to start with, you know, what is, what does her hair look like now that she's become a different person? You know, she's changed her name. She's changed her accent. She's become somebody very different from, from who she was, which is what, you know, the twist obviously ends up being mm -hmm. is that it unravels that she is actually Holly. And so there were a lot of conversations about what my hair would look like. And, you know, we didn't want to be too similar, you know, to the flashbacks. And so there was a lot of that kind of detail in as far as sort of, clothing and you know hair and makeup and all of that and then of course the deeper parts are how you play those scenes without giving it away and that was of course one of the most important parts of this role was to to be able to you know subtly you know if you watch the series back you would see that there are subtle hints that we sort of added but if if you don't know what the twist is you, they're unnoticeable and, and that was a challenge at times. And as she begins to unravel, she becomes far more vulnerable. And that was something that I was really, really conscious of, that she remains stoic and almost kind of with this armor that she's created for herself and a facade, really, because she's not, she's not her true self. You know, she's become somebody else. So actually, when those layers begin to peel away and she begins to kind of there's a sort of breakdown of Kate it was navigated sort of really carefully and sort of gently so that it wasn't sort of you know suddenly she was a different person and it, it sort of crept in and it shows through her being off her game you know that's the sort of start when she begins to the panic begins to rise and we don't quite know what that is but she's off her game as an audience you think well she's just she's not quite on the ball today or, you know, something's going on, but we're not quite sure what it is. And then of course it is this incredible reveal that she is actually Holly and, and that she is, you know, prosecuting. She, she knows this person, he is the man that assaulted her. So it's an incredibly complex character. And SJ and I were very sort of conscious of how far and how little I could go. And so at times we would shoot a scene or a moment and sometimes I would take it a little bit further and then I would pull it back in and then she can, she can pick and choose in the edit, which I'm sure that mm -hmm. happened a lot because mm -hmm. there might have been moments where it was too obvious or something was too revealing or we could have given it away. And I've never played a character like that before, you know, mm -hmm. who isn't really who they say they are. It's really interesting. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, she's so complicated because you're like, why is she going after this person so hard on this rape? Like, and, and also the self-destructive nature within Kate, like just within human, just within human nature, you can't, you can change your name. You can change your accent. You can change everything, but you actually can't change your DNA Absolutely. of who you are. And that's what I loved about this is she's still striving to get back at him, but yet she's still, you know, making not great personal decisions to potentially you're not quite sure where that her own love life is going or where her own personal life is going. And, and one of the things that I think is incredible about your work and I have a limited knowledge of you personally, but what I've seen, I'm just going to make some leaps here. And I know you're so talented and you sing and you do all these other crazy things, right. That people don't even know about, but no one quite on screen for me is able to have such a, you're very poised and you feel like what's going on, but underneath it's a raging river of vulnerability. And it's incredible how you bring that. And I've, I obviously saw it a little bit in Lady Mary and Godless. We saw it a, a lot of it in this, I think is the fully formed where we get all of Michelle Dockery in these six part series. We get all of your gifts, like kind of purse throughout these six parts of this thriller and it's amazing to watch so well, thanks. that was That's a long-winded compliment but it is something um, that you have that is very unique to to you who you are as an actor is there's always this thing going through you where the audience is like what is she thinking what is she thinking you know <laughs> she's doing that but I, I don't think she's thinking that she's she's doing something else underneath you know which i love which i think it makes like which a, makes it so compelling like a, there's like a swan you know that sort of yeah you know i sort of see lady mary like that, that there's this sort of poise and then ac- actually underneath the you know the 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 little the little legs are sort of flapping and I, and i love playing those type of characters who you know, a seemingly one thing on the outside, but there's something else going on underneath. And 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 Kate is so much of that. And it, it was a real pleasure to play, actually, as much as it was a challenge. In those moments where in the courtroom scenes, I felt that those were the hard, some of the hardest to play, not only because I was trying to, you know, play it as authentically as possible and also just to sort of do it justice. And, you know, say more lines than I've ever said in my entire career. I mean, believe, I mean, some of those were just, I think well, the one between me and Rupert was like 38 pages long. And at one point SJ said, let's just keep running it. Like, let's just get the cameras, keep the cameras rolling. And it was like doing a play. As I re-examine my past encounters, as I replay what happened in that lift, I remain convinced and adamantly so but I've never overridden the will or wishes of a woman. And I have never had sex that was not 100% consensual. Because when we talk about consent, we're talking about ethics. I'm someone who finds unethical behavior repugnant. And I wonder, Miss Woodcroft, do you? I'm not here to answer your questions, Mr. Whitehouse. I am here to put the Crown's case. And as I have said from the beginning, my case is a very simple one. Olivia Lytton made it clear to you that she did not want to have sex. Isn't that right? No, 
She said nothing. That's why you called her a prick tease. I never said that. You can't very well admit it, can you, Mr. Whitehouse? Because that word in that sentence demonstrates you knew full well she didn't want to have sex with you. She wouldn't give you what you wanted, and that is why you had to force yourself on I her. I didn't force myself on and her. And that's why she's accused you of rape. I am not a rapist. I did not rape her. The word rape and my name have nothing to do with each other. I have no further questions for this witness. But because she has to be so stoic in those scenes, she knows that if she falters, she could, she, the case could swing the other way. You know, there is so much riding on her confidence that those were some of the most challenging moments for me because you, you, there is so much vulnerability that you feel when you walk onto a set and you're playing a character and imposter syndrome sometimes creeps in and you're like, how can I really do this? And, and so to actually play someone who is feeling all of those things, but doing really well at hiding it, but also myself trying to hide that at the same time, it, it became a relief that in that scene when she, she actually does, she is off her game with Kitty it was quite a relief for me to play that scene <laughs> because I'd oh. sort of been holding it together for so long that actually I was quite looking forward to showing just a little bit of emotion and, and the armour dropping just a little bit. But it, it was it was such a privilege actually to play this role and, and to play a barrister. You know, I have such admiration for prosecutors. I mean, it is an incredible mm. job and, 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 it, and and a difficult one, I'm sure. You know, particularly mm -hmm. you know, particularly these type of cases. So this job is an incredible one because you get to you get to step in these shoes that you would never have imagined. You know, I would never have practiced law. I was too busy, you know, singing and dancing and wanting to be on the stage. So it does feel like such a privilege to be able to to do that and experience these lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, you live with this for so long, obviously, because when you do six. Mm -hmm. They're movies. You know, you're basically doing three movies, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of the time. I mean, what, what did you, what did you, Michelle, kind of learn mm -hmm. coming through this just about the very basis of the, the plot of this, you know, like all of the kind of nuance? I hope that this is, so, it's something that audiences will take away um, after <laughs> watching this show is that I think it, it will, it will open up conversations and particularly about consent. You know, I wasn't aware of some of the statistics, you know, of these cases and how hard yeah. they are to prosecute and being part of something potentially that will create a bit more awareness for this, you know, incredibly important issue is, you know, I'm very glad to be a part of that. There's always something that you kind of learn and something you kind of carry with you onto your, onto your next job. And, and, and not only that, it was just, I hadn't, going into Anatomy of a Scandal, we, it was the, it was the second lockdown in London. So, you know, this was one of the first shows, I think, to, to go into production. And I honestly hadn't, hadn't really, I just thought perhaps I won't work, you know, we won't be able to work for the rest of the year, you know, and it felt amazing actually to go back on set and be part of this brilliant drama, which I think is a really, it's a really important one. And to be able to tell this story under the circumstances and everybody did such 
an incredible job, you know, but there were challenges with all of the, you know, precautions that had to go into place with COVID. So on top of that, it, it felt really special, actually, for all of those things, you know, it felt, I felt very lucky to be able to do it. Living through the pandemic, it makes you even more grateful to be able to work and all, I mean, and we're still in it, but I I know what, certainly what Netflix goes through to make their set safe and, and all the protocols and whatnot that I feel like by the time you're there, you're just so happy to be able to be back at work. Uh, Absolutely. I was amazed actually at how, and how quickly it all sort of happened and all of these protocols kind of fell into place and suddenly it became very normal. You Mm -hmm. know, you're tested every other day and you know, you're sat in between each other in these kind of pods. And, and we're such sociable creatures, actors. So <laughs> it's um, it, that was a challenge, you know, not being able to kind of talk quite as closely to your co-star as you normally would. And that for me was, was, was useful because I, I had to be really focused playing this character. It, it required a lot of concentration and a sort of energy was a, you know, I really had to sort of reserve my energy. I'm quite a chatty person on set mm-hmm. and I just love being on sets. And, but for this, I sort of had to go into a little bit of a zone because those scenes were so challenging at times that I, you know, I couldn't expel all of that energy between takes. It was important right. to just, you know, reserve it. And, co- and that helped because I was in a pod. <laughs> You're in your own pod. Yeah. One of the things that's super effective that SJ did is like, we know the tension is building when you and Sienna's character. So when Sophie and Kate finally come face to face and we're wondering at that point, oh my God, what does she know that we don't know? Yeah. Does she know that this is how it's the tension for the audience is huge. So what was it like when you finally got to actually you and Sienna in the same scene? We were delighted because, you know, when I, when I, I first got this role I was so excited to work with Sienna yeah. and we we both then it re- we realized quite quickly you know after the read-through that we're we're not really going to see that much of each other because our stories are so you know so separate from one another so that was the first scene we got to do together and we were overexcited completely overexcited and to, to a point where SJ said <laughs> she said when she says um Miss Woodcroft and I say Mrs. Whitehouse. Mm-hmm. It was sort of so kind of dramatic that she said, you know, she said, you need to kind of pull back a bit. It looks like you've just fallen in love or something. <laughs> but we were that excited to, to, to be working with each other for once. Mrs. Whitehouse. Miss Woodcroft. Can I help you? You look familiar. I should hope so. I'm prosecuting your husband. Have we met before? Not that I recall. I forgive my manners then. Sophie Whitehouse. Did you go to Oxford? Liverpool. Why are you here, Mrs. Whitehouse? It's just that you look so familiar. And I think that that scene is is shot so brilliantly. I think. Mm. I think it, it creates so much tension, doesn't it, at the end of the episode? Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're all, we're like, when well, she's walking and she's brilliantly yeah. shot. And then it, it's deeply satisfied in that 
misses with exactly what you said. You're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And it's yes. so formal and the tension is there. You know, this one knows, this one's panicked. That one is kind of curious. And and absolutely. Uh, and there's so many layers to it because it's lying. She's lying to her face. You know, she's saying that she went to Liverpool. She didn't go to Oxford. And that's something that Kate really struggles with in this. You know, she says it at the end to Richard when he he's, she says, I'm a liar, just like him. You know, she's kind of lived a lie for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, having changed her name and who she is, her identity. That moment was, I had to be really careful not to give any, you know, she can't give away anything. So she's <laughs> she's almost a good actress, you know, Kate Woodcroft, which actually barristers tend to be, you know, there is an element of performance. And so it was okay to be that good a liar you know, there were times where I thought, could she really do this that well? And of course she can, because she is, it's partly her job. We were also so happy to do that last scene together. Where mm. they, and it was actually our last day. Or it was my last day, I think. It's so rewarding, that last moment. It was yeah. really, I find that really moving, the ending, when they mm-hmm. both go their separate ways. What about you? Who are you? Holly or Kate? I guess I'm finally both. Listen, are you going to expose me? That night he raped you was the same night that one of the Libertines fell to their death. I remember. It was the only time I'd ever seen him cry. Well, I doubt his tears were anything to do with me. No. They were because he'd come dangerously close to destroying his golden future. What are you talking about? I made a call today to an acquaintance in the press. A lot of horrible things happened that night, aside from what happened to you. Something that could be prosecuted in court? Yes. Why are you doing this? correction, perhaps, for the greater good. Her Majesty's government is about to implode. Merry Christmas, Holly Berry. There has been some sort of resolve for them and a sort of peace. It's kind of, it kind of goes Yeah, to it feels like the, the Kate has stopped lying to herself and Sophie yeah. stopped being the person that's easy to lie to because you yes. realize Sophie just accepted the lies and now she's like, or accepted things as they were because that was just done. Exactly. Uh, and I, 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 I do. I love, it was very satisfying how that yeah. ended, even though we don't know where everyone goes, we, we feel better about them going in that direction. And you, <laughs> you sort know? of hope they'll be friends. Yeah. You know, I, I feel you know, there's looking at those scenes now that, you know, I've been able to watch all of those scenes in Oxford with our younger selves. It's uh, there's something really moving about that at the end when these two people come together and they were students together and she helped her with her homework and they could have been great friends had that not have happened, you know. So maybe no. maybe in the life beyond the this, this series, you know, they, they become, well. you know, perhaps could become friends. Who knows? 
All right. Well, let's talk about Michelle's life beyond the series, because we first met you in America as even though you'd been working and you'd been doing some stuff. And obviously you went to Gilgood Hall and all of that training and all of that stuff. But Americans met you as Lady Mary in Downton Abbey. And we've never recovered. Uh, You became like a national treasure. You were your own memes before there were memes, you know, all of it. Uh, The look, the dresses, the eye roll. How, when you look back now on it, and I know that you, you've done the films and there's another film coming, but when you look back on it, what do you remember what it was like that first season on set and the response that you had gotten and that feeling? Can you talk to me about that at all? The first season felt like we were onto something really good. I mean, Julian Fellows had written it. There was this amazing cast. I mean, when I heard that Hugh Bonneville was doing it and Maggie Smith, it was like huge. It changed my life, you know, and I'd been, I was 27 and I'd been auditioning for roles and some similar kind of, you know, period drama roles in, in period dramas and I wasn't getting them. And, and I remember going into the audition thinking, oh, they'll probably give it to so-and-so who's, who's been in the last three of them or, you know, and I never really dreamed that I would, would get it, but I was confident enough to know that I could really, I, I could really play this part, you know, and when I auditioned for it, it just felt right. And so when I got the call, I got it. It was just, I remember I had to sit down. I couldn't believe it. And then it became this wonderful experience of being on set every day with these incredible actors who I really looked up to. And, you know, we became a family very quickly. And, and you just hope, we hoped that just the UK would enjoy it. You know, (laughs) it aired on ITV and it was like, well, you know, hopefully it's successful here. And then within a few months after it aired on PBS in January, suddenly it was everywhere. And I remember being in New York around the time it was airing the first series and sitting in this little cafe in Greenwich Village. And a couple started talking about Matthew and Mary and they were debating as to whether they should be together or not. And I just sort of put my head down and it took, it took everything for me to just not leap up and say, it's me. <laughs> um, but it was amazing because I, I thought, God, I'm just sat in this cafe and people are talking about the show that I'm in. And then from there, it just grew and grew and grew. And well, suddenly we were at the Emmys and, mm-hmm. you know, and all of that that goes with it, the publicity. And it, it's been such a ride, the whole thing. It's been amazing. And but in some ways, I'm sort of, I feel much more kind of like I'm enjoying it and living it much more now than I was then. I feel like it was like I was on the outside looking in because it was all quite, it was so new. It was so new to me and it all happened quite quickly. And when I look back, you know, there were things that I perhaps maybe missed, you know, because I was sort of caught up in it. And so now it's a sort of slightly different approach to it. But it is like going home. You know, every time we go back, we're like a family. It's such a pleasure to go back to something that you're, com- you know, getting into those costumes again. Yeah. There's, you know, there's very <laughs> little operation. It's not like anatomy of a scandal. I had yeah. to, you know, <laughs> had to have learn the lines and be saying them in my sleep. Whereas with right. Mary, it comes so naturally, you know, because I've, we've all played these characters for such a long time. 
Oh, and the wardrobe. I mean, do you have any drink? Do you keep any part of Lady Mary with you and any of that jewelry or those pieces that those costumes are magnificent? No, I'm still waiting for them to give me something. <laughs> um, I, uh, there's this coat I wore once that I really loved, this green, beautiful green coat, which I'm kind of still waiting for. The problem is, is that they're all at these exhibitions that are now every I think the last one was in Boston so all of the costumes and everything is on exhibition but and it it, it doesn't seem to the door is never fully closed I think once maybe once that happens I'll get something you'll get it well like I said at the top of this interview we knew you as as Lady Mary but we've come to really know you and all these other characters and the range has been amazing and and Godless is phenomenal as a frontier woman. And, you know, what you do in that show is extraordinary as well. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, the last, we're getting towards the end of this interview. And I always, I'm asking everybody these same kind of questions. So mm-hmm. my first question to you is, what is bringing you the most joy these days? I have a dog <laughs> uh, that we got in the pandemic and he is the most joyful thing in the whole wide world <laughs> what kind of dog uh, he's a lurcher i didn't grow up with dogs my my parents had got a dog quite late he's about eight years old my mum and dad's dog but we didn't grow up with them so, i mean i've always sort of been a dog person but i didn't quite realize how much of a dog person i was until i got my dog so he brings me a lot of joy also seeing seeing a lot of friends and family lately and i think the pandemic has you know has really changed that for me because i was traveling a lot during, you know, those years on Downton back and forth from America. And, you know, I, I sort of was, was on constantly kind of moving. It's been great the last couple of years, actually, to be at home and, and spending time with the people that I love. That brings me great joy. I talk about a theme every season. Last season, it was fear. This season, it's ambition. So, what is your relationship like with ambition these days? These days, it's much better, my relationship with ambition. I think I was afraid of ambition for quite a long time. I feel now that I'm not afraid to sort of explore what I would like to do. You know, I, I feel like, you know, I love, I absolutely love acting and I have done for such a long time, but singing is something that I've I've done, but sort of, you know, never professionally until now. So that, and that, I think that came with confidence of, you know, being at a certain age or, you know, a certain time in my life where I, I wasn't afraid of that ambition to kind of pursue a a career in music, which is, which is what I'm doing now with my great friend, Michael Fox, who's also in Downton Abbey, which is where we met. And we started writing songwriting together six years ago. And our EP is about to be released in May. But I'm not sure that I, you know, well, I know that, you know, I was offered sort of musical ventures in my 20s and I, and I didn't follow them up. I was, perhaps I was too, you know, I didn't quite have the confidence or it wasn't, I mean, a lot of the time it wasn't the right kind of genre of music that I, that I wanted to, to do. So I, th- I think it's changed. It's definitely changed my relationship with ambition. Mm. Would you do a musical? Like, is there a char- Is there a musical Absolutely. character that you would love to play now that you now that we're over the hump of of not wanting to do it? Absolutely. I mean, there's not a specific musical character that I have in mind, but I would absolutely love to do a musical, whether that's on stage or on screen. I'm absolutely dying to do one. And I, my initial kind of 
um, you know, early years of being a performer was at stage school when I was a kid and musicals were what we kind of did. I've just never, never actually gone into that, that world since. So, so I'd love to. Mm -hmm. Mm. What is the name of the LP? Yeah. So we're called Michael and Michelle and it's called The Watching Silence. Oh, great. All right. Well, you hear that all listeners, you have to go after it. And you really have known since you were little that you were going to be a performer, right? It was never. Yeah, I knew at quite a young age. I think my parents just sort of thought, oh, yep, she's definitely not an academic, this one. She's constantly (laughs) doing little plays. And I remember we had a camcorder from a very young age and I was always doing, you know, little skits and doing little mini films with my sister. And I did know quite early on, but it was only really until I went to drama school that I kind of really got the bug for it. Mm-hmm. And, and then I never looked back. It was something I just always sort of felt kind of in my bones. I just really wanted to do it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so important that people lose sight. They think like, oh, she just got this part or this, you know, a lot of times we like to, oh, they just got there because uh-huh. she looked the right part. Oh, isn't she lucky? And what the reality is, is that people work so hard. There's so much rejection. There's so much no's. They're just even for, you know, 27 and Lady Mary. Oh, it'll go to the other person. It'll go to the, Absolutely. I love it, but it's not going to come to me. But you just kept going and you just kept showing up because there was no other choice. It's like, that's what you had to yeah. do. And that, and you know, and that's the, you know, only other advice I can give, you know, to artists out there is, is to keep going, you know, because you never know, you never know what's around the corner or what you could be potentially right for. This job is so unpredictable. You know, you never, never quite know what's around the corner. And um, it takes a lot of work, you know, it takes hard work. And sometimes it takes some real perseverance in, you know, really really going for what you really want or what you think you're right for. And, but to do it all with, you know, I think somebody said to me recently, you know, to kind of hold it lightly, to not, you know, to not hold onto it too tightly. You know, there's things that you really would love to be part of or roles that you'd like to play, but it's sort of also letting it go at the same time. I think I've sort of learned that over the years. Mm -hmm. It's just to not hold it too tightly. Well, it's delightful to see you. And I can't wait for the LP. I love that. That's our listeners are going to love that. That's <laughs> exciting. I know you've been this jazz singer. I mean, I knew this was yeah. in you and I know you've, you know, it has been recorded before, maybe without you knowing it, there's been some things <laughs> out there, but this is really exciting that you've leaned in and you're really doing it. And I can't well, enjoy, enjoy it. It's a, it's a real passion of mine. So I'm, I'm thrilled that our music is, is finally out there. Oh, that's great. And congrats on this series. It's, it's Thanks. again, another terrific turn for you. So thank you. All right. Take care, that's Michelle. Good to see you. Anatomy of a Scandal is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQUEUE.com. 